0: Hello! Welcome to Exploring the Divine Feminine. I'm your host, Ramona Sidaway, and this is episode number 14. We discuss all things related to the feminine divine, mostly within the context of the restored Church of Jesus Christ. Today I wanted to talk about the worth of women and the sacredness of their grief. There is no better example or archetype than Christ. We talked about that in the last podcast by the mere fact of how he treated the female gender in his mortal ministry demonstrates the value of women, especially in how he treated those whom he had close relationships with. As we discuss these, I want you to keep your eyes open to what his actions are saying to us of how sacred women are, especially mothers and wives. I believe that how he spoke and reacted to the needs of Mary, his mother, and Mary, his intimate friend, and possibly his wife, it will speak volumes. Um, And it uh, it tells us not only about our worth as women, but it's just a great example of how to treat each other, especially how to treat women. So let's begin with Mary, his mother. I love the experience that's recorded of a young Jesus staying behind in Jerusalem while the caravan moved on without him. This is in Luke chapter two, his, Jesus's mother and Joseph assumed that he was with other family members because it was just such a large group. And it was very common for, you know, people, families to cousins to hang out with each other and just to, just to kind of. They assumed he was with another group or another family. Um, When they finally realized he was nowhere to be found, they retraced their steps until they finally recovered him at the temple. Mary was rightfully worried and expressed this to young Jesus. He, he responds with um, sort of in modern terms. He's like, uh, in modern terms it would be saying why were you looking for me surely you know i'd be in my father's house meaning the temple and uh these versions are in um other versions of the bible where the king james version has jesus replying that he was about his father's business so many many other versions have it translated that he would be in his father's house be in his in the temple and um it, at that time, it was a, a very common practice for the young men to be quizzed by the elders as part of their spiritual and educational training. They, it was, it was a very usual thing for them to ask questions and the young, student, the young man to answer and vice versa. So that practice in and of itself wasn't unusual with what Jesus was doing. What was unusual at the time was, were his answers. And they were just so impressed because he was answering as um, not just another student, but one who actually had authority and one who, who knew his stuff. So, but we're talking about you know, he was there, his parents didn't realize he had stayed behind, and it freaked him out. I mean, rightfully so. Since it was, you know, so in one sense, Jesus was reminding Mary and Joseph that he was where he was naturally supposed to be, at least according to culture. He's 12 years old. This is just a normal, normal thing, culturally speaking. Um, Mary and Joseph were also rightfully worried about their son because they they had no idea where he was and Jesus was correct in the sense that he wasn't trying to be rebellious or cause them unnecessary worry and he was also not in the terms of um in addition to the culture but in terms of who he was as the son of god so but this what comes next is what um is where i'm really impressed So at this age of 12, he is now considered a man. And he kindly reminds them that he was right where he was supposed to be, both in terms of the culture, meaning teaching and being asked questions, etc. And he was supposed to be in terms of his biological parentage, meaning the business of his true father, his father in heaven. So despite all of this, Jesus made a conscious deferential choice. And it says, quote, became subject unto them, close quote. So, you know, I'm not completely familiar with the culture of that time in terms of how much the son, once he reached age 12, um, I'm assuming he still needed to, you know, stay with his family, right? But uh, the fact that he was already beginning to under at least by that time he had figured out who he was for however way that happened that he was the son of god and um probably technically other people would think he didn't really need to be subject unto them anymore but because of who he was He gave Joseph and Mary the respect and honor due them because they were his mortal parents in terms of they're the ones that were in in charge of taking care of him. And so he showed them a great amount of respect. That's what that teaches me. That's one of those, those lessons that that scripture teaches me. He was the son of God, and yet he had profound reverence and love for his earthly mother and his stepfather. This love and respect was in his very DNA. Jesus does not just check boxes. He expresses in his actions and words the deep, sacred uh, veneration that he has for women. i It's just obvious that he exudes that. So let's look at another encounter with his mother and I share this not so much as it demonstrates grief. you know grief has um, it's different levels and it's different levels for everybody but this um, this is a time when Mary is um, not so much grief stricken but as stressed. and I share it because it demonstrates Christ's character once again and how he how he has so much respect for us and that any amount of suffering is too much suffering <laughs> or not too much suffering, but any amount of suffering um, resonates with him and nobody else can judge our suffering, but us. And he, anyway, we'll go through all, um, all these different experiences and you'll understand what it is I'm trying to get to. So his first recorded miracle was turning the water into wine at the wedding feast at Cana. So for whatever reason, his mother had a fairly large responsibility at this wedding. So much so that when the wine began to run out, she began to stress. And this is in recorded in John chapter 2 verses 1 through 4. And it reads, "There was a marriage in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there." And both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus saith unto him, They have no wine. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. Now, verse verse 4 sounds harsh, doesn't it? But let's look at the Joseph Smith translation. uh, The Joseph Smith translation version of this verse. And it reads... Woman, what wilt thou have me to do for thee? That will I do, for my hour is not yet come. Doesn't that completely change the context of that verse? It completely changes the meaning. The first way was like, what are you bugging me for? And the second was like, um, he, it's like he's saying, Mother, I can see you are stressed. What can I do to help? That's what that reading really is. Now, at this point, she had not asked him for a favor, nor to create wine for the party. She, she had respect for him too. And she, she wasn't going to ask out of turn from him, but He sensed her stress with the situation and with love and kindness offered his assistance, his help. Jesus asks his mother what she wants him to do and then promises to do it. Now let's look at the title woman as Christ used it. This, as well to our modern ears, sounds harsh as well, right? Woman, what do you want? However, when Jesus uses it, he most likely meant it as a title of respect. Let's always remember who Christ was and the amount of respect and love he had for women for his mother, he would never treat her with disrespect. So we have to look at that, look at his character. So he uses it as a title of respect. And there's a scholar who... Um, explains it in this way. He says, woman, or rather lady, is in Greek a title of respect used even in addressing queens. It was as though he said to his mother, my lady. Well, okay, I added that accent there. My lady. He was; It was a great title of respect. So in the Savior's mind, work was work and whether done by uh, women or men it was it was important and honorable although technically jesus was a guest at this festival and while he was under no obligation to help in any way he offered to lift some of his mother's burdens i love that what i also love is that the first miracle He chooses to perform was not a matter of life or death, evil or righteousness, um, sickness or health, nor was it intended to draw a crowd or draw attention to himself in any way. He was calling upon the DNA within himself, the same DNA as our Heavenly Father, as um, using his gifts to lift the burden of someone he cared for and respected. He used it to provide a beverage at a social gathering. It wasn't about the beverage. It was about his mother. It was about his mother's stress. Um, and so, you know, at that point, he, she just turned to the servants and said, whatever he asked you to do, you do it. So he, she, she did not ask for anything specific And she put him in charge and she trusted him and knew that he was going to help out. In the words of Mary Jane Woodger, she says, quote, Christ chose the one who had given him life to be the first mortal to receive a miracle at his hands by meeting her concerns as a hostess, close quote. Next, we can't ignore how, as he hung suffering on the cross, he made sure that his mother would be taken care of by his friend, John. This time she was suffering and he set aside for a moment, his own suffering um, and saw her suffering because she was there. She was a witness. She was, she was his mother and she was going to be by his side no matter how how much it hurt to see her son suffering and dying and being punished for something that he was not supposed to be punished for at all and it was like she was there in a sense of i'm here I, i'm here sweetheart you know i'm here son And he turned that and he made sure that she was going to be taken care of. Um, That's just completely his character. I love it. Now let's turn to Mary, his friend. This is the Mary and Martha. This concern and empathy for someone's feelings and emotions comes into play at the death of Lazarus, the brother of his close friends, Mary and Martha. Upon returning from a journey he had been on, he is met with Martha and her sorrow and the announcement that Lazarus had died and that had Jesus been with them, it wouldn't have happened. He then finds Mary, who, unlike Martha, who seems to be keeping her emotions in check, Mary is sobbing. She's weeping. And in John 11, we read, when Jesus therefore saw her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. Jesus wept. He knows he can raise Lazarus from the dead. And then the cause of sorrow and tears for these two women, women will be wiped away. In fact, we all believe, right, that eventually all sorrow will be eradicated, that our own tears will be wiped dry. We don't know how, we just trust in Christ's promises. But for now, we are still sorrowing, we are still weeping, we are still in the midst of a mortal journey that Christ knows He knows the end to, but He also realizes we are still in the middle of it, and that empathy is needed more than obvious answers, So in this account with Mary and Martha, it does not say that Christ rolled his eyes or chastises Mary. Um, uh, He didn't have this passive aggressive tone to remind her. Don't you know who I am, Mary? Don't you remember what I can do? Really? Why on earth would you be crying? I'm going to fix it. No, he did none of that. He didn't try to make everything right or immediately um, fix it. He, he didn't, uh, he, he just simply showed empathy. He was there for Mary for what she needed most at that moment in time, both physically and emotionally. He cried because she was crying. He felt that ache in his soul because he saw how she was suffering. He wept because she was weeping. He sorrowed because she sorrowed. And to me, that is... Uh, best kind of help and service and love that someone could give somebody else. I'm going to share a personal story. Um, Many years ago, I went through a particularly devastating incident for me. And during that time, I had a dream that I was at a funeral staring at a casket. Now, this casket symbolically represented the death of an ideal I thought I was going to have in my life. And the realization that my life was not going to be as I had imagined, caused a lot of mourning and weeping. I know it's very vague, but I I don't want to get into the personal details. For me, it was, it was extremely difficult. It was a hard time in my life and it lasted for many years. But in that same dream, a man came to me and out beside me. Now he was in the image of my husband, but I also understood him in my dream to be the savior. And as I sat on that wooden folding chair, which was symbolically for me, that it was not a fake hurt, you know, like a fake chair. It it was real. Um, he, He seemed so sad because I was sad. And then you know what he did? he began to kiss my tears right on my cheek. It was as if he knew that my sorrow and the tears it produced was sacred, that my grief meant as much to him as it did to me. There were no miraculous changes or words of wisdom or promises of a brighter future or that eventually I would get over this. He didn't indicate that my sorrow was silly or that there were worse things out there. He didn't tell me to count my blessings or to gird up my loins. He treated my grief with honesty, sincerity, empathy, and sacredness. The worth of souls is great, and the worth of women is sacred. Now, in the show notes, I have a link to a video that was put out by the church. Um, Chris Williams, in this video, discusses the loss of his wife and several of his children in a drunk driving accident. And while the main message of the video was about forgiveness, what I latched onto was when Chris was describing his prayers during that time. And he says this, quote, That's a very difficult thing to go through, to nail down and desire to speak to my Father in Heaven. When I'm so lonely or when I'm so anguished, it's an interesting conversation to have. He doesn't immediately try to make it better. He listens to me first. I thought that was very helpful. He allowed me to get that anger off of my chest, but inevitably he would always come back and teach me about his, about his son, Jesus Christ. When I did feel anger or there was just a deep sense of loneliness I didn't direct that at the person that had caused this. It directed itself at the Savior, close quote. Then, as now, Christ totally understands what it means to be a woman. Our highs and lows, our weeping and laughing, our moments of injustice, and our calling to bring life into the world, however that, that those means are. Sacredness does not equate ease nor immediate justice. Now, I love how Chris ended the video, and it sums up how I want to end this podcast or this, this particular episode. He says, quote, I have always ended those episodes of grief with an assurance and a hope that one day, perhaps I will see him as he is. One day, hopefully, I will be like him. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm here every Friday at 10 a.m., or the podcast will be. Um, Thank you so much for subscribing and sharing your time with me today. I know your time is precious, and it means a lot when you're able to take out some some of that precious time. Um, Have a wonderful, blessed day, and until next time.